Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We are back to our usual schedule for Tuesday afternoon draft deep dive recordings. So I am here, of course, with my draft deep dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? I'm wonderful. Work has finally given me a, a little bit of breathing room, catching up on film, watching basketball, talking basketball with you. Uh, life is good. And, and and our crown prince, Ochai Abaji, had the game of the season last night. And just what what else can you ask for? Yeah, certainly there are times in the draft evaluation process where you have to raise your hand and say, my bad on that one. But for Agbaji, we have been we've been in for a long time. So it's rewarding to see everyone else finally hop on the train. Yeah, ju- just watching that game and smiling and just a, a single proud tear rolling down the cheek. <laughs> just 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 as the one tear of pride rolling down. That, there goes my sweet boy. Oh, so proud of him. There He's he turned into a hell of a player. That he most certainly has. So today we are going to start out by talking about your most recent article over at No Ceilings. And you wrote about a prospect who has certainly climbed up boards this season is one of the more interesting big man prospects in this class. And behind my sweet saver, Nikola Jovic, one of the most intriguing international prospects in this class as well. So we're going to start off today by talking about Ismail Kamagate, who has had a really interesting season, but you focused in particular on his at-rim finishing for this article. So why don't you start out here, give us a primer on Ismail Kamagate. Yeah, and you you kind of hinted at it um, there in the intro, but I, you know, and part of this is because of expectations coming into the season, but he really feels like the one international guy to really skyrocket up boards and get a lot of attention and a lot of love in the you know overall draft community. Um, because it's kind of been an underwhelming year all around for the international class, despite us getting a handful of really talented prospects these last couple of years. But on the surface, Kamigate kind of profiles as this athletic rim running big man who just dunks everything. And he certainly does a lot of that. But I think his offensive game is a lot more well-rounded than that, especially with this group of centers that kind of keep getting grouped together towards the back of the the first round that we'll dive into later, but the way he roams the baseline and finds open pockets around the paint and really uses his body control to finish at the rim. Um, he can avoid rotating shot blockers. He can finish over guys. It's just, it's a lot of versatility and it's not just raw sheer athleticism that produces, you know, big, big dunks. It's a lot of versatility. It's a lot of subtlety and nuance, which I I think is really encouraging for his long-term projection in how he contributes on offense. So something we've talked about quite frequently on this podcast with evaluating big men is that for us to value them highly, they kind of have to do something besides sort of the basics of being a big man, you know, more than just being seven foot, throwing down dunks and being a force at protecting the rim. So what's intriguing about Kamigate that you highlighted in the article is yes, he can do those sort of traditional obvious things that you would hope to have in your starting big man in terms of throwing down those lobs, but he has a lot more craft around the rim than a lot of big man prospects. And that I think is, you know, the key thing that you highlighted in the piece is that He's not just someone who can do the basic things. There's a chance for him to do a lot more. And furthermore, the awareness that he showed in his ability to cut and 
do other things besides throw down dunks around the rim is really encouraging for his future development beyond just what we've seen from him this year. Yeah, and I, I feel like when, whenever we talk about craft with interior scoring, um, especially with big men, it's, it kind of almost always reverts back to what is their post-up game like. And Kamigate doesn't really have much of one, and I think a lot of that is because he he's not a very good shooter, um, at least right now. But where his craft comes from is his patience, which really surprised me that he'll use a couple shot fakes. He'll pivot a few times to really get the defenders to leave their feet and then he'll finish or just get them out of position or better position himself. Um, so like his, his footwork, his patience, his just general awareness of the floor balance and where he is and where the defenders are, I, th- I think is really impressive um, for a young prospect at that position and just really highlights how kind of versatile he can be in the paint because once he catches it, it's not just, okay, drop step over my left shoulder and try and dunk it or chuck it off the glass and hope that it rattles in. It's a nice up and under it's rolling and leaping from the hash marks to dunk over a guy or, Euro stepping around and finishing or double clutching and finishing with a reverse layup. So it's it's just a lot of agility that we, we don't really see a whole lot of from these really athletic rim runners. You mentioned this in the piece, and I really did want to highlight this because I thought this was fascinating to look at for Kamigate is he's a really interesting screen setter in the sense that he's not just someone who's setting the most obvious screen on ball to get his point guard to his dominant hand, you know, And you mentioned patience as well, and I think that plays a role here as well. You know, he's someone who is willing to be, you know, not only willing to be involved in multiple actions, but is really good at setting good angles on his screens, both to set openings for himself and for the other players on the court. And, you know, we talked about Travion Williams last week and how his brilliant passing really creates a lot of opening for his teammates, whereas... You know, this goes to the whole Rudy Gobert screen assist debate, which I don't want to touch for too long. But, you know, the idea behind it being that Kamigate provides a lot of value with not just setting the simple screens with, you know, being able to see how the play is developing and change the angle on his screen or change where he's setting the screen to allow for the play to function in the best way possible. Yeah, it's it it feels like a dumb or a, a, a inconsequential skill to highlight with the guys like, Oh, he can stand there and make contact with another guy. Cool. But when you really like look at or watch guys or big men who screen, it's shocking how ineffective so many of them are. And as a Timberwolves fan, you know, I watch Carl Anthony towns on a nightly basis and he's getting one or two offensive fouls by with illegal screens per game. And it's infuriating and it just, it kills the possession. It's a turnover, but Kamigate really uses his, mobility and his footwork and just his positioning to just subtly bump guys out of the way to flip his hips and change the angle of the screen. And then he rolls really under control. Um, If he has a free lane, he rolls really hard and aggressive and catches the lob or finishes with a dunk. If there's a guy already waiting for him in the paint, he kind of stays at the level of the ball and finds that open pocket where he can do something out of the short roll. And by having that ability to be that really strong and versatile screen setter, it it just constantly creates 2v1 situations for his offense. And when you can consistently put your offense 
and a, a high leverage and an opportunistic situation that 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 it's a good thing. It, it produces good offense and more efficient looks. So one other thing that we touched on earlier that I want to sort of circle back to is his craft around the rim. And you mentioned that, you know, in terms of his finesse, there was one play in particular that you highlighted where you said that, I just want to read this because I very much enjoy this, but instead of forcing something that would send ripples through the earth's crust, Kamigate double clutches under the defender's block attempt to finish with the layup. And I just wanted to say that because I enjoyed the dunking someone through the earth's crust line, (laughs) but also because I think it's indicative of the kind of player that Kamigate is. And it comes through in his screen setting. It also comes through on that double clutch layup that he is not someone who just sort of has to, charge through and crush everybody in his path to do something effective. And that I think is a big differentiator between, you know, again, we talk about sort of the replacement level of big men quite frequently on here. And the way that you elevate yourself above that replacement level is either that you're such a spectacular athlete or such a spectacular defensive prospect that you elevate yourself above those guys just because you do things that few human beings on this earth can do. But the other way you get there is with these sort of secondary and even tertiary skills that we're talking about in terms of screen setting, but also in terms of finishing craft around the rim where he doesn't just have to be someone who dunks through everybody on the opposing team to score. Yeah, and that's the thing that I I feel like me and you have always really been aligned on and we talk about a lot with these young athletic big men is what else can you do? Like, what, it, it, are you just getting buckets because you're a freak athlete? And if so, then that kind of turns me off a little bit on their long-term projection because that gets really watered down at the NBA level when you're going against guys who are the same level of athlete that, as you on a nightly basis. But when when you're able to add that footwork, that patience, the the versatility in your, you know, f- finishing arsenal, then you become more intriguing because it shows an awareness. It shows body control. It shows a different level of athleticism that isn't just raw strength and explosiveness that, you know, those guys often carve out at least a spot on a, on a roster, but they're way more easily replaceable. And we, we see that the turnover of that type of player at a much higher rate than these really athletic big men who also have a lot of skill because once once you implement that skill into that scoring and that athleticism that that's when that small role turns into an actual consistent spot in the rotation and then that's when that develops into a, a legitimate starting spot so let's circle back a bit to the rest of his offensive game. Now, you sort of touched earlier on the fact that he doesn't really have a jump shot at this yeah. point, which that's kind of the other primary way that big men sort of develop a role on an offense outside of just being a run and dunk guy. And with Kamagate, I mean, his free throw percentage is at 70% this year. So for people that are, again, I call myself a partial free throw truther. So Not a full free throw truther to be entirely clear, but I do believe that that indicates something that he's Mm -hmm. not, you know, this is something that I mentioned as a concern with Travion Williams, where he was at 50% as a free throw shooter until this year, where he's climbed up slightly to 60%. You know, the 70% number gives me, and also his craft and finesse around the rim gives me a bit of faith that he has not bad touch at all, which I don't know. I mean... I have some faith that he could develop a jump shot long-term, but that's really just based on 
those numbers and pure hope rather than anything projectable we've seen from him so far. He's taken a grand total of zero three-point shots this year, which should give you some idea of where we're at with him on that front. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think he ever expands his shot out. I, I guess I should never say never, but I, I would be stunned if he ever develops like a legitimate three-point shot. Um, and I, I don't think he really needs to or this re- well-refined old-school post-game. But if he can just regularly hit like a 15-foot jumper out of the short roll, if he can kind of develop a somewhat reliable jumper in that 14 to 18-foot range, that I think would do wonders for his game because he he's shown the versatility and how he can score off the roll, um, whether it's lob dunks or avoiding guys with the we we already went through all that. Um, and then he's also shown flashes of a really high level passing out of the short roll. And then if he can add a somewhat reliable jumper, um, then that's when I think his offensive ceiling takes or his offensive production really takes a leap and puts him at that next level of contributor to a rotation uh, because it, it's just not there right now. I think currently his, his footwork is kind of erratic and all over the place. Um, and then the, the shot is just really flat um, and it, it misses hard off the rim because of that. And he doesn't have a ton of touch. So if he can implement just a little bit of arc into it, just figure out that stable base. Um, I, I, it wouldn't stun me if he turns into a somewhat reliable shooter in that mid range, because of, like you said, the, the improving and the, the, the decent free throw shooting that he's kind of shown this year. So not to go back to the well again, but you mentioned the passing, and that's something that we talked about last week with Trevion Williams, where his passing really opens up the floor for him as a post option, even if he's not someone who's taking a ton of post-up touches. Do you think that for Kamigate, he would be well-served by at least developing a couple of post moves just so that he can have that as an option out of the post? Or do you think he's still better served by working on that 14 to 18-foot pick-and-pop jumper? Um, I, I think the jumper is a little more important um, long term. Uh, he there there are some possessions in the post where he he's shown the ability to pivot once or twice with the shot fake in there and then finish with the layup. But he's not going to be knocking down Rashid Wallace or Lamarcus Aldridge esque post fadeaways or anything like that where he backs a guy down then spins back over his outside shoulder and fades baseline i I don't think that ever needs to really be part of his game but if he can continue to show a little bit more of the the up and under and pivot variety in his post-up game which you know it it will create a a few more layups for him but then it also forces defenders or entices defenders to dig or help off ball, which then creates cutting lanes uh, for teammates. And he he has shown that he's pretty comfortable um, and consistent at finding guys when they do cut. Um, so it, it, I guess long-term the shot will do more for his offensive ceiling, but the, you know, a, a more well-refined post game could help, further expand his passing opportunities. So before we transition into the next part of the podcast, let's just talk briefly about his defense. And it's funny that we only sort of made vague references to his athleticism, just because the bulk of 
what we wanted to talk about was the fact that he has more than just his athleticism to speak for him mm-hmm. on the offensive end. In terms of the defense, I mean, his calling card is really going to be using that athleticism to be a shot deterrent around the rim. You mentioned earlier his footwork can be a bit inconsistent, which is concerning, but certainly in terms of the athletic tools, he's got really everything he needs. Yeah, and I, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts um, if if you have any big ones on his defense, because I, I, I came away kind of shockingly underwhelmed by his defense. Um, I think like right at the rim, I think he's a really good shot blocker. Um, but I, in terms of like rim protectors in this class, I wouldn't put him in the, I wouldn't put him towards the top. Um, and then when he gets pulled away from the basket, especially in the pick and roll, it really seemed like he got lost in space a lot and would hesitate on what decision to make. I I don't know if that's just coaching, if he just needs more reps or he hasn't been exposed to a ton of that, but the way he kind of moved the way it, you could just almost see him trying to think through each step and decision that he had to make in space. And that, that really put him out of position a lot, which kind of worried me. Definitely the inconsistency is the main thing I'm worried about with his defense. There mm-hmm. are plays where he looks like a world beater and there are plays where he looks like a deer in the headlights a little bit. So we're going to talk about three other centers to wrap up this podcast. I think of the four of them, he has been the least encouraging as a rim protector, yeah. just in terms of what has happened this season. I think just in terms of his athletic tools, he has the best athletic tools of the four, I think, in terms of being able to defend in space long term. But in terms of what he's actually shown in terms of defending in space, it's been it's been up and down, as you mentioned, for sure. But I think that he has the quickest feet of the four, and that's going to make it easiest for him to develop into the best help defender of the four. But that's more of a projection than it is anything that he's actually done so far. So, so what what do you think the likelihood of that defense really taking a leap is? Because I, I feel like that's it's so hard with young big men um, who, if you're not solid defensively, NBA coaches are going to be so hesitant to play you. And, and that's my only concern with him. Um, do, do you think his offense at this point outweighs, you know, any defensive inconsistencies? Mm, that's a tough question. I think, I mean, this goes back to my philosophy of pretty much every rookie mm-hmm. is bad on the defensive end. So sure. Sure. like, yes, I, I could argue that pretty much any rookie is going to get pulled for defensive mistakes if they make a ton of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, his understanding of the game that he's shown on the offensive end gives me hope that he'll figure it out on the defensive end. But the flip side is that is, we have talked quite frequently in the past month in particular about how stunned we've been at these guys who are incredible cutters who also get back cut all the time on the defensive end. So maybe that's just a bit of an optimistic view on it, but I think the awareness that he's shown on the offensive end and the best moments of his defense, they give me hope that he'll be able to figure out enough that, he'll be able to get the playing time he needs to develop on the defensive end. But I mean, you know, the flip side of that goes back to what we always talk about with the replacement level of big men, which is kind of the downside of this conversation, which is if he doesn't figure it out, you know, he's not going to have, he's not going to have very many opportunities after that to prove that he can turn it around. So 
I think it'll be really interesting to see where he stands in year three in the NBA. I think by that point, you know, and that's, that's a total cop out. I admit but you know, <laughs> saying it anyway, I think that there have been enough flashes to be encouraging in terms of his development, yeah. but he has to show a lot more than he has. Yeah. No, I, I think I'm totally there with you. And of this group we're going to talk about, we're talking about today. I, I think he definitely has the highest ceiling, but I think his kind of current level of production may be the lowest from day one. If you, if you put him into a rotation right away, because um, I think right now that offense still outweighs the defense pretty significantly with him, which is pretty rare. I feel like when we talk about these athletic big men, um, but I, I, the, the highs of his defense are, are really impressive. I'm just really excited to see more of them um, because it's, they happen 20% of the time. Um, so I, I do think he's just going to be a little bit more of a project and it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how patient or how an NBA team kind of u- utilizes him right away and brings him along. So you mentioned that Kamagate probably has the highest ceiling of this crew. Let's stop obliquely referencing <laughs> this crew and actually say who they are. So we had on no ceilings, a rankum debate between these four centers last week so i'm going to circle back to them here just because those four are the four centers who are kind of talked about in a very similar range of back end of the first round slash early in the second round so the other three besides kamigate mark williams from duke walker kessler from auburn and christian coloco from arizona so starting with mark williams who I will admit first of all i'm the highest on him of all four of these centers and I think I think the reason for that for me certainly is you mentioned that Kamagate has the highest ceiling. I think Williams clearly has the highest floor. And yes. in terms of sort of the replacement level big man stuff that we talk about, I mean, Williams is in the 98th percentile offensively per synergy, 97th percentile in transition, 96th percentile as a pick and roll roll man, and the 98th percentile as a cutter. And yeah. you know, the cutting is sort of goes back to what we've talked about the last few weeks that. I think shows an awareness on the offensive end that makes him more than just a run and gun type big man for me. But the 97th percentile in transition also kind of fulfills the run and gun big man thing. And on the defensive end, he's in the 81st percentile. And I mean, he's just a seven footer with a giant wingspan who is an above average athlete for that size, who is very infrequently out of position on the defensive end. And if you run into him and your shot is anywhere close, he's going to send it out of bounds. So yeah, I think I'm glad that you agree that Williams is the highest of the four, even though it means that maybe there's less debate, but I think that just the baseline of what he will provide at the NBA level, I think that teams at the back of the first round should really be taking a close look at him, especially since those are usually playoff teams who might need one more rotation contributor I mean, there are a few big men that I can think of who would immediately slot in as effectively as a backup center as Mark Williams. Yeah, I'm of this group. Mark Williams is the highest for me um, in that rank. I may, I may have listed him a little bit differently, but I just caught up on a bunch of Duke film and he's just he's so consistent and so impressive. Um and I, I have him at like 22 or something right now. And while that number will probably change by tomorrow after I watch <laughs> two other games, um, I, I don't see him really falling out of that kind of late first ra- round range. Um, 
And, you know, I feel like whenever he gets talked about, all of his detractors always just point to the Gonzaga game and that he was that that's the only game people are impressed by. And to be fair, he was the best player on the floor in that game. He was absolutely incredible. But he's been so good um, ever since then. He had a couple down games after that because it's hard to match that high of a high. But these last couple weeks, even in Duke's losses, he has been so extremely important to what they do and when we talk about you know roster construction and finding that big man who isn't necessarily a franchise cornerstone like a carl anthony towns or Jokic or you know that that high level when we talk about these replacement guys i think Mark Williams fits that perfect mold of this is a guy who you can put in at center in your starting rotation and he doesn't need the ball. He will do all of the dirty things on both ends of the floor. He's a really strong rim protector. I think I like his pick and roll defense a lot. Um, The way he flips his, his footwork is kind of sloppy, but the way he flips his hips allows him to recover he can't shoot, but he dunks everything and his catch radius and his hands are so extremely impressive. Um, and then like, like you said earlier, his ability and willingness and eagerness to run in transition is so impressive. And then he gets that early seal catches, whatever pass gets thrown to him and then dunks it. It's, it's just, he doesn't need the ball. He's not flashy. He just works his butt off and just plays really high level um, kind of connecting basketball. So it's funny that that's where you leave off with the Mark Williams discussion, because I think that actually makes a lot of sense in terms of the transition to the Christian Coloco discussion. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive end, I think they're very similar. They're both mm-hmm. seven footers who are really good rim protectors who have some eye popping blocks on the offensive end. They're different in very interesting ways. So of the four centers, Coloco has by far the best, post-up game of them and currently he's in the 98th percentile on synergy as a post-up player interesting you're you're making that face who would you argue for as a better post-up guy than coloco of these four i'm probably kamagate um but i mean i'm pretty underwhelmed by all of theirs i i but like i know it kind of makes sense when just based on the numbers that coloco would be that effective because he's so good at getting like those really deep seals that he doesn't really need a post move, but in the possessions where he does need to like generate something, I, I I'm just always really underwhelmed by like his skill and footwork in there. And he just feels really stiff. Um, so, but may, may, maybe that's just an, an eye test versus the numbers thing, because I know, as you obviously just said, his raw numbers and his efficiency on when he does shoot in the post um, is really impressive. And obviously, so it's just an interesting thing because I, I've been pretty underwhelmed by his like actual post skill, I guess. That's interesting. I don't think of him as stiff as much, I guess, but I think that's a very fair point that you bring up. Really, for me, I think there's a dividing line between, you know, are you scoring in the post just because you're big and you're bullying smaller people, or Mm -hmm. are you scoring in the post because you actually have some touch in there? And I don't know, I definitely get the stiffness thing with him, but I think that when he does get a good seal, as you mentioned, it's very, very hard to stop him. And I think, I don't know, certainly in terms of the four guys that we're discussing, I think he's going to have the easiest transition as a potential post scorer. Whereas I think 
for, I don't know. I mean, for Williams, that's just not really something that I see him working into his game because I don't see why he would. That's just, you know, he provides enough on the offense as a cutter and transition guy. Whereas Coloco, you know, again, going back to the numbers, he's in the 19th percentile in transition. And that seems low to me. I mean, I don't really think of him as that kind of plotter who just can't score at all in transition, Mm -hmm. but it is a very interesting contrast just on the surface between how committed Mark Williams is to the transition game versus how incredibly successful Coloco has been in the post. But I don't know. I think that just based on the numbers of Coloco's success in the post, as well as the fact that, you know, he's a very big man who does (laughs) seal quite well. I think that it'll be, I think he will have the easiest time if any of these guys are a post-up threat in the NBA. I think it's easiest for me to see that with Coloco. And I think the numbers back, certainly the synergy numbers would back that up. But in terms of the rest of Coloco's game, I mean, I, I don't know. I think this sort of comes up in your concerns about him in the post, but I think with Williams, Kamigate and Walker Kessler, their secondary offensive skills make it very clear that they will have ways to contribute beyond just throwing down dunks. Whereas I think with Coloco, he might need to score. I mean, he'll certainly need to score more in the post than Mark Williams, just because I don't think Mark Williams will need that at all mm-hmm. in his game. But I think maybe it's that Coloco has the simplest offensive transition, but I am worried more about his feel than I am any of the other three guys that we're talking about here. Yeah. And so I'm of the, of this group, I have Coloco the lowest and kind of like just right outside that first round um, range. And so like 35 or something. So I, he, he's right there. The The gap between these guys for me isn't extraordinary. Um, but when Coloco has the ball, it feels like he's just overthinking things like where you, you can just see him, trying to process what he needs to do. I don't think he has very good ball skills. I think his passing is pretty underwhelming, but I, I really like his vertical spacing. And like we mentioned earlier, that his ability to get that seal and then just take one drop step and then dunk it. Um, and he, he probably has one of the better touches um, kind of right, right around in like that five foot area. Um Defensively, I, I kind of like his drop coverage a little more. It's when he has to do anything other than drop that I get a little worried about him. And just it feels like he's just overthinking everything. And I, I think he has the tools and the athleticism to be a more fluid defender kind of out in space. But it's just very kind of... I, I I'm struggling to find the words here because it's just so weird and not exactly what I expected from him. But then when you look at where he was last year and the jump he's taken to this year, it's really encouraging for his long-term development. So I, I think he just needs to kind of just trust himself a little more when he defends out there and stop trying to think of every decision and every move that he needs to make on a granular level. I think overthinking it is actually the perfect way to refer to it. I think with these other three guys, it just seems like, the decision-making is much quicker for all of them. Whereas, you know, Coloco, I think that might also play into, you know, debating about how stiff we think of him as in the post. But I think that's also, you know, contributing to that is just the overthinking, the, you know, double-checking every decision. Whereas with Kamigate, it seems like, 
he has sort of a more innate understanding of where he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. And I definitely feel that with Williams as well, whereas there isn't that much decision fatigue because they just know what the right decision is and they're making it much more quickly. And that I think also leads well into the fourth guy that we're discussing. So you said that you had Coloco last. I had him third. I have Walker Kessler, the lowest of this four, but Again, very similar to you. I have them all in the 25 to 45 range of the draft. But with Kessler, I am the most worried about his ability to defend in space. And that's why I have him the lowest of the floor. The flip side of that is I think that he's, if not the best passer of this group, then certainly second. I think he's probably the best passer of this group. And that is encouraging certainly for his offensive upside. And obviously as a rim protector, he's put up absolutely ridiculous block numbers, but my concerns about him in space are the reason I have him the lowest of the four. But again, I all have them in a pretty tight band around end of the first round, beginning of the second round. Yeah. I have Kessler at 29 ish um, right now. Ish. Um, But I like that fringe first round really. Um, And I, it's tough because I, I feel, kind of feel like he's I, I really like his vertical spacing just like the rest of these guys but I feel like he's probably the worst athlete of of the group um yeah well that's we, why I'm worried about him in space primarily right. the, yeah the yeah and when when uh, whenever he does get dragged out um he's always just really high in his stance and just like his kind of hip hip flexibility and hip mobility is is not ideal but it's also not shocking for someone his size um, you, you mentioned the block numbers. And so per Bartorovic, whose database goes back to 2008, I believe, uh, he has a block rate of 18.8, which is the highest ever. Um, uh, yeah, that ain't bad. It, it, or, sorry. So it's currently tied with Larry Sanders freshman year at VCU at 18.8. And earlier this season, it was over 20. The way he protects the rim and turns away shots is really incredible. Um, I, I don't think he's the best rim protector in this class. I know that sounds like an oxymoron given the block <laughs> numbers I just gave. Um, I still think that's Chet by a wide margin, but the way he locates and times and just really just consistently turns away shots. It's, it's really impressive offensively. I'm not entirely sure what he becomes. I think he's the one who's, consistently proven the most that he wants to shoot um i believe he has the most threes of this group by quite a large margin i, I um, don't think that's going to be a particularly close race <laughs> yeah um but the results have also been pretty awful uh it's not a huge sample size but his shooting numbers are not encouraging and i don't think there's anything about his form that's super encouraging either so how that develops, I think will be really interesting because if he can develop into, you know, just a 30 to 35% three point shooter, um, I, I think that would be really interesting for his kind of long-term outlook. So just quickly looking through these, as I mentioned already, Kamigate has taken exactly zero three pointers this season. Yep. Mark Williams has taken exactly one and he missed it. Shocker. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go on that front. And in terms of Christian Coloco, one second, of course, this is this is wonderful podcasting while I pull up. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I uh, probably could have been a little more prepped and, and there br- we go. Brought, brought the number to you. 
So Coloco is an infinitely more frequent three-point shooter than Kamigate and takes twice as many three-pointers as Mark Williams because he's taken two three-pointers <laughs> this season and missed both of them. And Walker Kessler is, of course, the dramatic leader in this race. He is the only one who has made a three-pointer, but he has made four of 27 for a 14.8% mark from three-point range. And in terms of the free throw shooting, I know that's more of a thing for me than it is for you, but he was at 54% at UNC. He has at least climbed up to 65% on the year at Auburn, but he's also shot fewer free throws this year. Again, just totals, but fewer free throws this year than he did last year and still only 80 total for his college career. So not much of a sample size there. And certainly it's hard to be encouraged by 14.8%. Yeah. And I, when, when he transferred from North Carolina, one of the things that he said was that he wanted to shoot more and he thought he could do that at Auburn. And he's, he has done that to be fair at Auburn, um, but not well. And I, I don't know if that's a legitimate tool for him long term, uh, despite him desperately wanting it to be. So it if it does, if he if it's something that he constantly works on and we see a a Brooke Lopez esque late career three point shot development, um, that would be fascinating. Um, but as of now, I, I think it's more of a wish than reality. I'm glad you brought up Brooke Lopez because I watched a ton of him while he was in Brooklyn and admittedly less of him after he actually started to develop that three-point mm-hmm. shot. But the difference between Brooke Lopez and basically every other big man ever in terms of developing their shot is, I mean, Brooke Lopez was an all-star and 20-point-a-game scorer in right. Brooklyn. And the primary reason for that was that he was one of the best post-up players in the NBA. But the secondary reason for that was that he had just one of the most gorgeous 18 foot jumpers yeah. in basketball. And he just stretched that out four feet, right? Like he was mm-hmm. an 80% free throw shooter for basically his entire career before he became this three point shooting guy. That's always been a part of his game. It's just that it was, you know, from 15 to 18 feet rather than 22 to 25 feet. So, you know, for me, there has to be a whole lot going right for yes. any big man to develop that kind of Brooke Lopez level shot. With Kessler, though, even though it's been the results have been not great this year, I think that that's really important for him to continue to develop because, mm-hmm. especially if he does struggle to defend in space, as much as I fear that he will struggle to defend in space, then he'll really need to have enough of an offensive game to render that enough of a moot point that he can get his rim protecting on the floor. So, I I don't know. I would encourage him to continue to shoot those, even if it doesn't look great. And even though it's on a very small sample size, the jump in his free throw percentage is a little encouraging in terms of, you know, projecting his future shots. So there are certainly a lot of reasons to think that it looks bad and maybe he should cut it out of his game. But I think given the rest of his game, it will be really important for him to develop that shot in a way that I don't think it's as important for even the other three guys that we've talked about today. Yeah, and and I I definitely think that he has the best odds to do it. Um, I his touch is not encouraging. Um, when you know when when I reference Brooke Lopez, it's not directly comparing the two because Brooke Lopez's touch is in a completely different galaxy than what Walker Kessler's is currently. Um, so you know how improvable is that? You know that that's I guess we'll find out. But if 
if he can develop like a somewhat reliable pick and pop game, I, I think that would really do wonders for him. Um, Cause I, I think the rim protection won't really have any issues translating. Um, I kind of, you know, in, at the back end of the first for a contender to bring him in and just kind of be the, the cornerstone um, or the, the, the safety net of their second unit defense. I, I think that's kind of an, an expectation for him right now. Uh, that's kind of the floor where I see his game. And then if he can co- develop that pick and pop game to go along with his at rim vertical spacing, then that's when I think he's his minutes really take a jump. That's when I think we, you know, s- start seeing him creep into starting lineups here and there. All right. Anything else you want to talk about today before we wrap things up? Um, I don't think so. Uh, th- this is a, uh, shockingly a, a fun center class and i know me and you typically hate on the center classes at least for the <laughs> last couple of years because we've just been underwhelmed by them but the, g- given the depth at other positions this year that this is just a really fun class and i think is going to bring up a lot of really interesting value debates as we get closer to the draft uh between a couple guys at the top and these guys at the background or back, back end of the first uh so they're fun. Go watch them. Uh, go subscribe to everything. No ceilings. We continue to do awesome stuff over there. Um, I'll have something for Friday, breaking down another prospect skill. Not sure yet, or not sure what yet, um, but it'll be a surprise and you'll love it. So, yeah. All right. Well, definitely looking forward to that Friday piece. Hopefully it won't be about Walker Kessler's three-point shooting. That's <laughs> most fun piece you could do. But in the meantime, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. You can find his work on No Ceilings, as well as Hashtag Basketball and Canis Hoopus. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. I will have another Sleeper Deep Dives piece coming out on Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, a couple days, but I will be writing about EJ Liddell, who has certainly been shooting up draft boards recently and is someone that I think will be really fun to look at in terms of someone who might slide into the end of the first round. Yes. Please check that out once that goes live. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.